Well, how are you? Good? Well, uh, this morning is um, third message in our series, kind of mini-series. Don't know how long it'll go. Jesus Everywhere. But if he's everywhere, it could go a long time, huh? But anyway, that's our series, Jesus Everywhere, where we look for Jesus behind the curtain. See him up there? Kind of hiding behind the, the curtain? So let's pray. Father, thank you that you are good and that you have sent your word and that your word is Jesus the Christ. That's how we know that you're good. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to preach this morning. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we ask it. Amen. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Everywhere you go. This is the third Sunday of Advent. You know, in just uh, two weeks, it's, it's what? Christmas Day, right? So it's uh, beginning to look a, a, a lot like Christmas, and, and yet kind of not. It kind of doesn't look like Christmas. I mean, Christmas is sacred, and our society is so profane. I really think that Christmas is under attack in our culture. Just this past week, I was reading a popular collection of short stories available down at Barnes & Noble. It's a bestseller, but highly controversial. I read just four or five of the stories all about women living back east, and supposedly it's all true. The first story was about a young woman married to this wicked husband who dies this violent death. And so this gal immediately sleeps with her husband's brother who abuses her in some really strange ways. He dies a violent death as well. And then this woman, Tammy, becomes so wanton that she disguises herself as a a harlot goes to a seedy part of town and seduces the father of her two former lovers. Three months later, someone tells this father-in-law, your daughter-in-law is a prostitute, and not only that, she's pregnant. The guy gets so furious, he plans to burn her to death along with the baby in her womb until she reveals you are the father and the child is yours. Second short story was about a woman who didn't just moonlight as a prostitute. It was her profession. And not only that, it was all wrapped up in the occult. Her name was literally Dragon of Chaos. The third woman was an immigrant woman, desperately poor, so desperate for a man that she sneaks into this guy's room, lies at the foot of his bed until he takes her. The fourth woman, perhaps, was, was the sorriest of all. She was married to a good man, but she exposed herself uh, to her husband's friend, a famous musician. Uh, he takes her, impregnates her, and then in order to cover his tracks, he has this woman's husband murdered. The woman gives birth to a baby boy. The baby boy dies. Immediately she conceives another baby boy by the same man. He, this baby boy lives. But you got to wonder about a boy raised in a society, a home like that. The last story I read is one repeated thousands of times in our society today. It was about a poor, oppressed, unwed, pregnant teenage girl. Well, I'm just saying that's our society. That's the culture in which we live. Filth. Immersed in filth. And, and so this is the question. Where's Christmas? Where's the Christmas spirit in that? Perhaps you, you know this, but the quote, piss Christ, 
was in the news uh, once again this past spring for an incident that occurred in Avignon, France. You may remember that in 1987, Andre Sereno, the artist, famous for homoerotic pornographic photography, Andre Sereno took a crucifix, immersed it in a jar of cow's blood and his own urine, and then took a picture and called it art. Which made everybody wonder, is anything sacred? Is anything sacred anymore? Well, in 1987, you remember it spawned a heated debate on the Senate floor. And then shortly after that, protests all over our country. Well, last March, the Piss Christ was on display at an art gallery in Avignon, France, which, by the way, was home to the papacy during the Middle Ages around the time of the Crusades. Thousands of French Christians showed up in protest, calling for the re-Christianization of France. And then on Palm Sunday, four people declared war and went on a crusade themselves. They overpowered the guards, took out a hammer hidden in the sock of one of these four people, smashed the plexiglass covering over the piss Christ, and then destroyed it with a knife. They went to war to save Easter, to save Christmas. They went to war to save the sacred and destroy the profane. You know, Islam protects what it deems sacred, and it will not tolerate what it deems profane. Several artists have been threatened recently with their lives just for putting the image, just the image of the Prophet Muhammad in their cartoons. Most recently, Matt Stone and Trey Parker, you know who they are from Evergreen and from, from Littleton, they were threatened for just depicting Muhammad in a U-Haul trailer and then covered in a fuzzy bear outfit on South Park. Comedy Central, um, uh, permanently pulled an episode from 2001 uh, which depicted Muhammad uh, along with Jesus as part of the society of super best friends. Everyone worries and everyone worried about offenses against Muhammad and yet Jesus is routinely portrayed in the, in the most profane and absurd situations on South Park at Christmas. And nobody seems to care. Nobody seems to care. The great sociologist Emile Durkheim taught that all religions divide all reality into two classes, the sacred and the profane. In Islam, the sacred is protected by Sharia law and violence. In the Old Testament, the sacred is protected with law and a stone temple and a curtain behind which only the high priest could go, oh, and only once a year, and only after making ritual sacrifices, and only after being ritually cleansed of filth, or he would die. And so the sacred was kept from the profane. But in our society, the sacred is assaulted by the profane. The sacred is literally immersed in the profane. Harlotry, adultery, pornography, consumption from, from one side, and now radical Islam and terrorism from the other. And this is the question. What will you do about it? 
Will you fight? Fight to save Christmas and all that's holy? What will you do about it? What would Jesus do about it? WWJD, what would Jesus do? And ironically, that's the question Matt Stone and Trey Parker ask in a recent episode of, of South Park. In the episode Red Sleigh Down, Santa Claus gets shot down in his sleigh over Baghdad on Christmas Eve. Cartman, Stan, and Kyle, the boys, find out about it and try to save Christmas. They figure the only one who could actually help them save Christmas is Jesus. Like Mr. Hankey says, Jesus can save anybody. And so they find Jesus in a stone cathedral, and Jesus leads them on a mission to save Santa Claus and save Christmas. Jesus walks up to the Iraqi guards who hold Santa hostage, and he says, Know me, my children. And then he reaches in his robe and he pulls out knives and guns and starts mowing them down. It's this incredible scene, but my wife won't let me show you because she says it's too uh, profane. Well, anyway, as they escape the compound, Jesus gets shot. Don't, don't worry, Jesus. It's nothing. It's just a scratch. You're a bad liar. Hey, but we sure gave him one hell of a fight, huh? We sure did, Jesus. Look... Dude. Santa? I'm here, Jesus. Don't, don't ever let them take away our, our Christmas spirit. Come on, kids! Get to the sleigh! Get to the sleigh! Everyone, everyone, can I please have your attention? Christmas is a very special time of year, but this year it almost didn't happen. There's a man named Jesus who gave his life to save me. From now on, Christmas will be a day for remembering a brave man named Jesus. There's a brave man who gave his life to save me. From now on, Christmas will be a day to remember Jesus. And so Santa Claus dedicates Christmas to Jesus. Uh, like, a, like a good Christian, you know? As if Christmas could be dedicated to Jesus. And that's funny. You cannot dedicate Christmas to Jesus because Christmas is Jesus. And of course, everybody knows saving folks by going to war with guns and knives is not what Jesus would do. It's what we would do. If we were Jesus, that's why it's funny. It's what we would do, what Muhammad would do, what religious people do, even what we want Jesus to do, but what he refuses to do. And here's something that I find just absolutely fascinating. But in South Park, Santa Claus looks ridiculous. Americans look ridiculous. Iraqis look ridiculous. Scientologists, Joseph Smith, Muhammad, they all look ridiculous. Even our perceptions of Jesus look ridiculous, but it's virtually impossible to make the real Jesus look ridiculous. I mean, nobody thinks less of Jesus because they watch South Park. Nobody thinks less of Jesus because they watch South Park, and yet that's untrue of the other people that show up on South Park. I mean, it's like really hard to offend Jesus. It's like Jesus just doesn't take offense very easily. 
I mean, you can take Jesus and put him in the midst of tax collectors and sinners. You can surround him with prostitutes and unwed teenage pregnant mothers and all sorts of profanity. You can take Jesus and revile him, spit on him. Heck, you can even take excrement and hurl it at Jesus. You could even kill Jesus. I mean, you could take Jesus and nail him to a tree. But unlike Moses, Muhammad, and all the kings of the earth, Jesus is not profaned. I mean, he is in no way diminished. It's like he only shines brighter. And check this out. Jesus is sacred. And so in his case, and maybe he's the only case because he is the Holy One, in his case, I don't need to protect the sacred from the profane. It's the profane that needs protection from the sacred. I mean, the sacred isn't in danger of being profaned. It's the profane that's in imminent danger of being sanctified. And wow, that kind of really changes the direction of this message, huh? All of a sudden we went from this to this. What's going on? It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas everywhere we go. So let's take a look at Christmas. And not WWJD, what would Jesus do? How about WDJD, what did Jesus do? Because maybe he's still doing it. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. First verse of the New Testament. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Now that's hugely important. For in Genesis chapter 12, you remember God promises to bless Abraham and through Abraham and his seed bless all the families of the earth. And scripture tells us that Jesus is that seed. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Now, now that's interesting because that's a woman's name, Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Medab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, or something like that, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And now that's interesting, too, because that's a woman's name. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, another woman's name, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah the Hittite, that's Bathsheba, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, in this long list of men, Matthew pulls out and points out these four women. Verse 7, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah of Asaph, and, and uh, Matthew goes on listing like 24 more guys, and then we get down to verse 16, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who's called the Christ. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so check this out. Jesus is born of God, and this long list of people that somehow carry the blessing or the seed of Abraham. 
And out of all those men, Matthew points out four women, not Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah, the traditional Jewish matriarchs, but Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, the four women that I told you about at the start of this message, the four women I read about in a collection of short stories called the Bible, the bestseller of all time and the most banned book in the history of the world. The first woman I called Tammy. That's just my little name for her, Tammy. <laughs> her, her real name is Tamar. And you can read about her in Genesis chapter 28. And check this out. She was a Canaanite who seduced her father-in-law, Judah. Remember, Jesus is of the house and the lineage of Judah. Well, Tamar gives birth to twins in the most unusual way. One baby, one baby, um, he stuck its arm out. As they're, as they're giving birth, one baby um, stuck its arm out first. The midwife attached a scarlet thread to it. And so that baby bears the scarlet. And then that baby pulls its own arm back into the womb, giving up the birthright and the blessing as the second boy is born first. Well, that's just weird. But Tamar, you see, is Jesus' great, 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 super great grandma. Rahab is literally the name of the dragon of chaos in the Old Testament. That's why you'll read that name Rahab in other places like the Psalms and other places. And Rahab was a literal Canaanite prostitute that lived in Jericho. And you remember that the Israelites were commanded to destroy the Canaanites but could never seem to finish the job, at least not with swords and bows and arrows and stuff like that. Ruth was from Moab, present-day Jordan, Israel's ancient uh, enemy. Boaz took her, you remember the story, becoming her kinsman redeemer. And we preached about Bathsheba just a few weeks ago. The great musician, of course, is King David. Murdered Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite, took Bathsheba as his wife. Their first baby died bearing their sin. The second baby boy they named Solomon, Prince of Peace. The last woman, the unwed pregnant teenage mother, of course, was, was Mary. And now you know that she was a righteous woman, but she didn't appear very righteous that first Christmas Eve. We see that's Jesus' family tree. And Matthew has kind of gone out of his way pointing out that it's extremely profane. And yet Jesus is thoroughly sacred. It's full of broken soil and excrement, and yet Jesus is imperishable seed. He's born into and out of all that, that filth. So if you separate Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba from Jesus, you separate the soil from the seed. And if you won't tolerate Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, you won't tolerate Jesus, the Messiah. You realize that according to religious law in that day, every one of those women should have, could have, might have been uh, executed or at least banished. And maybe you felt like one of those women. Like a bag of broken, dirty soil. 
Can you imagine how Rahab felt in the city of Jericho as she heard the Israelites were coming and their holy God? Can you imagine Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, rejected, raped, bought, sold, outcast, exiled, dejected, and despairing, profane? Imagine how they felt. Imagine how they must have wondered. Is anything sacred? I'm profane. <laughs> and and is there a is there a God? Does he hate me? He must hate me. If he's good. And if there is a, a God, where is he? And behold, they carried him like a seed in their own womb. Do you ever feel like Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, even Mary? You know, Jesus is called the Son of God and the Son of Man. That's humanity. That's you. And Jesus says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother. Maybe he's closer to you than you think. And when you speak truth in love, you actually in some way even give birth to him because Jesus is truth and love. Jesus is faith, hope, and love. Eternal faith, hope, and love. And check this out. Hope is born out of desperation. Faith is born out of confusion and doubt. Love is born out of shame. For the one forgiven much loves much, said Jesus. And God is love. Well, his name is Emmanuel, Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us, God with Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba. And check this out. Each one of those uh, four women represents people. They represent a, a people group that Israel had been at war with. Canaanites, Moabites, Hittites, people Israel couldn't seem to conquer. And check this out. When Jesus is finally born of Mary, kings from the east, wise men, show up at his crib, kneel before him, and confess him as Lord. So what Israel could not conquer with an army, God conquered with a baby. Well, that's how Matthew, the Jew, describes Christmas. And this is how Luke, the Gentile, describes the very same thing. Luke 2, 7. And she gave birth. Have you ever seen a birth? Have you? Guys, have you seen one? I mean, talk about shocking. Blood, urine, amniotic fluid, highly unclean according to Old Testament Levitical law. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Then Luke records angels talking to shepherds. Shepherds were the white trash rednecks of ancient Judea. The angel says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. A manger? And remember, only a few miles from this very location was a perfectly good temple designed specifically to house the sacred behind giant stone walls and an immense curtain woven with scarlet thread. When Jesus died and gave up his spirit, that curtain ripped from the top to the bottom. Well, the sacred baby is not placed within the sacred temple. The sacred baby is placed in a manger as a sign a manger. A manger is profane. You see, our problem is that we don't know what mangers are. We think that they're these like little porcelain things you get at the Hallmark store at Christmas time. Well, my grandpa had a dairy farm. And on that farm was a barn. And in that barn was a manger. A manger. A manger is a food trough. In the grossest place that I have ever been. The floor of the barn was literally covered with inches of, I won't describe it too much, excrement and urine. And the mangers were caked with cow mucus, dead flies, and pus. They put God in that. Because they had no place else to put him. And because that is where God predestined himself to be. And because that is where God longed to be. In the manger. In the barn. With the flies, the excrement, the urine, and Mary. And Joseph. And those shepherds. People like Tamar. Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba. And that's Christmas. The shocking, offensive, holy artwork of God. When I found out that the food trough in my grandpa's barn was called a manger, I remember thinking, no wonder we're so confused about Christmas. <laughs> I mean, if you go down to the Christian bookstore, you know, and you ask them for some artwork, Christian artwork, depicting Christmas Eve, they'll show you something like this. This is titled, Christmas Eve. And you see, there is nothing wrong with that picture. Except it's not Christmas Eve. There's no crap, there's no urine, there's no homeless people. There's no like uh, redneck uh, white trash shepherds wandering around. You know, and I was thinking about those shepherds. Mary, Joseph, Bathsheba, Ruth, Rahab, Tamar. And thinking about them and all that they went through. And uh, I was imagining them at a modern art gallery seeing this painting. It's by Thomas Kincaid, who's supposedly the most popular Christian artist out there. And, and, it, and, and he's called the painter of, 
of light. Now, nothing wrong with it. Okay, can you put that picture back up there? Keep those pictures up there. No, nothing wrong with that picture. But would Mary, Rahab, Ruth, or Tamar recognize that light? Would Mary recognize Christmas Eve? And then they see this one. This one is titled Christmas Blessings. Would they recognize the blessing? And then maybe this one. This one is called Christmas Memories. Christmas Memories. Is that their memory? At least there's a horse, right? I mean, at least there's a horse. And then maybe they see this one. This one is titled Pathway to Paradise. Pathway to Paradise. And then they see this one. This one's titled, Piss Christ. I think maybe a, a better title might be Christmas Eve. Or even better, Pathway to Paradise. And now I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, okay, pastor, you just went a little bit too far. Pastor, are you saying that it's okay to go around and just like maliciously urinate on crucifixes? No. It's not okay. Not like it's okay. It's just like it's not okay to sin. Just like it's not okay to pound nails in the hands and the feet of Jesus the Christ. But you see, what we intend for evil, God intended for good. And you know what happened after that soldier pounded those nails in the hands and feet of Jesus? He stood back, he saw God's artwork, and he dropped to his knees in worship. But after Andre Sereno put a crucifix in urine and took a picture, the church went to war to cover it up. And you see, I just think that's kind of ironic. I mean, we should have been picketing his other pictures. I've seen some of his other pictures. Believe me, I think we probably should have been picture, picketing some of his other pictures. But at this picture, we should have dropped to our knees in worship and said, Andre, Andre, that's it. That's him. Well, we don't know whether you intended it for evil or good, but that's it. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. Pathway to paradise. And this is the miracle, Andre, that the Holy One, the Holy One of God, did not consume you with fire, but the Holy One of God chose to be born in your manger and to hang on your cross. Andre, do you see him? When you see him, he will change you. He will clean up your manger. But Pastor, the, the, the picture is scandalous and shocking. Really? Is it? 
an image of God in urine? I mean, it's certainly not as shocking as God actually in a manger or actually nailed to a cross. Certainly not as scandalous as Christ actually in you, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, Peter, Paul, chief of sinners, who also wrote Ephesians 2.10, we are God's masterpiece. Painted with light. Jesus Christ and him crucified is the light. And now you, you may very well say, well, yeah, okay, fine, but shouldn't we protect um, the sacred from the profane? I mean, shouldn't we build sanctuaries for the sacred to protect it from the profane? Well, I do think that we need laws to protect people from profanity. But laws to protect the sacred from the profane? I don't think so. You see, people protect the sacred when they think the sacred is fragile and weak. And in a way, it is, and yet that weakness is stronger than all creation. You know, the curtain in that stone temple, it did not protect the sacred from the profane. It did not protect God from the people. Warnings about the table of the Lord are not to protect the table from you. Actually, the reality is just the opposite. The curtain protected the people from the burning hot fire that is God. But this is the miracle. God wrapped himself in a curtain of flesh, baby flesh, covered in amniotic fluid, blood, and urine. And 30 years later, Hebrews chapter 10, that curtain of flesh ripped open on a cross, even as the curtain ripped open in the temple, and the sacred invaded the profane. And it cannot be stopped. Because the sacred is the very spirit of God. The spirit of Christmas. The principalities and powers, the world rulers of this present darkness, they want you to believe that the sacred is fragile and weak and needs your protection. Why? So you'll pass a bunch of laws, build a bunch of stone walls, and go to war. You see, because we think the sacred is weak, we make lists, issue threats, offer rewards. We invent religions of law. He's making a list. And checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice, profane and sacred. Santa Claus is coming to town. You see, Santa Claus should be Muslim. Seriously. Or maybe what we refer to as, as Jewish, but not Christian. In Christianity, the good is not maintained with threats and promises. The sacred is not upheld by law. The sacred is the end of the law. 
Romans 10, verse 4. But, but we, we, like, we like. We like to make lists and laws and go to war to protect the sacred because we think the sacred is weak and needs our protection. Even now in the, the Middle East, Israel and the Arab world are preparing to go to war over the site of the ancient stone sanctuary. But Scripture says we are that sanctuary. And when we are weak, then we're strong. The sacred doesn't need to be protected from the profane. It's the profane that needs protection from the sacred. Actually, when the sacred is profaned, it does its best work. He does his best work. It's when the baby is placed in the manger. It's when the Messiah is nailed to the cross. It's when the church is persecuted and bleeds love. That's when the glory of God shines brightest and that's when we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The manger doesn't profane the baby. The baby sanctifies the manger. The principalities and powers want you to think that, that the, the sacred is weak and that the baby might fail. For then you'll go around and, you, and you'll start outlawing mangers. Mangers are just far too dangerous, far too risky. You'll start outlawing mangers. But if you outlaw mangers, you outlaw Christmas. And if that's not possible, you at least uh, blind yourself to its reality. In Isaiah 7, King Ahaz Israel or Judah, he's, he's terrified of the king of Syria who's actually gone into alliance with the northern kingdom. He's terrified that he'll attack Jerusalem and defile the sanctuary. But through Isaiah, God sends a prophetic word, the very word quoted by Matthew in his gospel. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Now, I'm sure that Ahaz wanted an army, right? He wanted an army, but God promises a baby. But you see, the baby doesn't fail. Even when he dies, he wins. Especially when he dies, he wins. Like a seed dies and bears fruit that is life, dies when it's placed in broken and fertile soil. You see, the principalities and powers want you to think that the sacred will fail, for then you'll make laws, build walls, and go to war. In other words, you'll try to save Christmas. And never come to realize the fact that it's Christmas which saves you. It's absurd to try and save Christmas when Christmas saves you. You can't save Christmas, but maybe you could wait for it. It's called Advent. You could hope for it, long for it. Stare at your empty manger. I mean, not, not hide your manger, not seize control of your manger. Just, just stare at your empty manger. Uh, don't hide it, surrender it, and then, and then wait for it. I mean, you could, you could wait for Christmas, and then maybe you'd recognize Christmas. You'd recognize Him in your own manger, and then recognize Him in others' mangers. Mangers like Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, Mary, Peter, Paul, maybe even 
Andre Sereno saying, Andre, that's it. Look, Jesus in your filth. Why, Andre, this is a miracle. God has been born. He's placed himself in your manger. I mean, maybe you could wait for it and then recognize it and maybe even announce it like the shepherds. Good news for all the people, all, all the mangers. For one day you'll look around and you'll see that every manger has been filled with glory and you'll exclaim, you'll yell out loud, is nothing profane? Is nothing profane anymore? And the answer will come, no, no, no. For it all has been filled with God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to him be the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. That's Christmas. Christ Mass. Christ's sending, Messiah, Christ's mission. For on that night, the most profane of all nights, on that night, the blessing, the firstborn, Jesus the Christ took bread and he tore it. Even as his flesh would be torn in the morning, even as the curtain was torn in the temple and his spirit... The Christmas bit got out. He tore the bread and said, this is my body given to you. And in the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. And so every Sunday, what do we do? We drag our sorry old manger up to the front of the church and receive the blessing of God, Christmas. Let's pray. Lord God, um, we confess to you our profanity, ourselves. The fact that we do not believe grace. And you are grace, burning, hot, white hot, unquenchable grace. Lord God, you are love, and we are not love. And so, Lord God, we confess to you our manger. And we ask that you, like a seed, would be placed in our manger. That you, the Holy One, would sanctify our manger. And so, Lord God, we, we don't want to... We don't want to hide from this fact, our profanity, but surrender it to you. And so pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I confess to you my sin, and I invite you, I ask you, to come rule this old mangy manger. Let it be Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.
he's not weak. He may look weak. That's because he's love. He may look weak, but he's not weak. He rises from the dead, imperishable and indestructible. And you know that piece of bread and that, that little bit of juice you took? It probably, I think it came from Costco or Walmart or someplace like that. But, but that faith, that faith, that mustard seed of faith to come forward, that mustard seed of faith that inhabits, I mean, there's a mystery here. I'm just telling you, you ingested eternal, indestructible seed. In other words, Christmas will not fail. And if you believe that, it will change every minute of your life. For you stop making lists and laws and judging and going to war and uh, you'll wait. And you'll trust. You'll have faith that the sacred does not fail. The sacred is God. And God is grace. And grace devours the profane. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel and have a very Merry Christmas. Amen? Hey there. I hope the message that you just heard or viewed helped you to believe a little more that God is better than you thought, the love of Jesus is deeper than you know, and the Spirit is everywhere working the wonders of mercy. If that's so, I'd love it if you would consider two things. Number one, ask yourself if there's someone that you know that might benefit from this message, and then uh, forward this link onto them. There are several ways that you can do that by visiting our website at thesanctuarydowntown.org. Secondly, I'd love it if you'd uh, take just a moment and uh, ask the Lord if He'd like you to contribute to this endeavor financially. We really can't do this except for the fact that God inspires people like you um, to give. And uh, you can do that by uh, going to the website and clicking on uh, the donate button or uh, by simply mailing a check to the Sanctuary Downtown at uh, 2215 West 30th Avenue, Denver, Colorado 80211. Uh, thanks for being a part of what we're doing, and God bless you.